It's time for the Smart Money Questions Podcast with Matt Hausman. This is the show that provides you with a sound financial education and helps you avoid financial pitfalls. Make sure you are asking the right questions by listening to the Smart Money Questions Podcast. Hey everyone, welcome again. It is that time for everyone out there in podcast land. Smart Money Questions, my name is Matt Hausman, as you already know. And it's hard to believe we're coming, as I'm recording this, it's mid-October. Leaves are changing up here in Metro Philadelphia. Get a little chill in the air in the morning right now. And uh, one of the best times of year, I, I love this. We've, uh, especially, you know, you're coming out of the heat. We've got football on. I love, I, I, in case you guys don't know this, I absolutely love college football, pro football, getting into the other sports now, hockey. Basketball is around the corner, and of course, you've got baseball playoffs that are uh, going on. So, great time of year right now, that's for sure. You guys know that I'd like to use this format as a way to talk about the things that are happening in our office. Uh, I'd like to jump on here a couple times a month, talk about the questions that we get from uh, clients or just others that have reached out to us, uh, scenarios that are going on, and hopefully be able to shed some light on the things that we discuss with them and that we offer in our services to help you always realize, you know, keep asking the question to make sure you're getting the answer that you want for the direction that you want to go. So before I jump into today, let's make sure we deal with a disclaimer. Please don't take any of the information or ideas or suggestions that I offer in today's show as direct advice for you. Please use it as information and education that you then can discuss with your advisor. Now, if you don't have an advisor or you would like for us to be your advisor, I'm more than happy to have that conversation with you. And it's real simple. All you have to do is go to www.speakwithmat.com. That's www.speakwithmat.com. And my online scheduler is right there. You can go right in. You can schedule a 15 or 30-minute phone conversation. And quite frankly, at the end of that first call, we're going to have a good idea. Does it make sense to have a second conversation? So again, very low-key. Go right into the online scheduler. You don't even have to get on the phone with anyone to schedule this. So again, speakwithmat.com, www.speakwithmat.com and schedule it there. So, all right, let's go ahead and get on to today's show. Okay, let's jump into this first one. I receive this question a lot, and it has to do with long-term care policies. The question is this, our long-term care premiums are going up this year and significantly. The question is, should we pay the extra cost or should we cancel it and just take our chances? First of all, I want everyone to realize that when you're talking about a traditional long-term care policy, now what in the world is that? Let's kind of look at that for a second. Essentially, a traditional long-term care policy is going to be one where you pay a premium for that coverage, and then that coverage is usually going to be spelled out where the company is going to pick up a daily benefit that you would receive in the event of a care event. This is where you want to look at. Some of the policies can be written different where you have uh, a certain amount if it's in skilled care. You can have an additional amount if it's uh, assisted living and maybe even a different one 
in the event it is home care. But it's a daily benefit that they're going to pay in the event you qualify after what's called an elimination period. An elimination period is essentially a deductible where you're going to have to incur those costs for a certain period of time. 30, 60, 90 days is pretty typical in those traditional long-term care policies. Then the policy is going to have a maximum lifetime benefit that is going to be described. Now, some of them are indefinite. doesn't matter how much it is over a lifetime they're going to pay. Others can be set for, say, three years of that daily benefit, four, five, or a specific amount, 500 grand, 600 grand, what have you. You can also add what's called, or for many of them, I should say, you can add what's called an inflationary factor. So for instance, if I chose a benefit of $300 a day, and let's just say I I wanted the inflationary factor at 5% annually, that means that every year that daily benefit of $300 is going to increase by 5% until at some point in time, I have an event, if I have an event, a care event. Now, this question is, my premiums are going up and they're going up significantly. And we see this all the time with these traditional policies. And what I want you to understand is this is common. A lot of times when people, they first come in, especially when they're younger, they might not have seen an increase for five or seven or eight years, depending on how young they were when they purchased it. But when they get to be older, they were told at the beginning, and this is true, if we raise your premiums, we have to raise everybody else in the class. And the reality is they raise everybody in the class for that particular policy and company that you bought it from. Now, this is when, when you talk about do we pay the extra cost or do we cancel it? Many times what, and I'm assuming that this person that actually wrote this in Maybe they didn't look completely through the letter that they received, because usually that's the case. There is a time, uh, that there, there's a certain amount of time that you have to be forewarned that this is going to be changing the premium. But many times, your premium can stay the same. And one of those benefits that I spoke about, whether it was the daily benefit, whether it was the lifetime maximum, or whether it was the inflationary factor, they can either be removed or stay stagnant. For instance, with the inflation, if you've had it on for 10 years, maybe now, I, okay, I'm not going to do that anymore because I don't want to see those increases in premium to maintain the policy as it was when I bought it. Now, one of the things to realize is if I'm going to pay for it, can I afford it? If it's fitting into your overall budget and expenses. And let's be honest, we don't like to pay for these insurances, but a lot of times I will compare it, especially if you can afford it. You know, we all have car insurance, we all have homeowners insurance, and we don't buy those policies to think, well, I better use them, right? They're there for insurance. Long-term care is the same thing. And one thing we want to realize is if you've done the planning and you understand that they are going to go up over time. And the reality is, when do we need, usually need this type of care? Later on in life. And depending on how robust the policy was, is if you can't afford it, you really want to be looking at it, fitting it into your budget, into your overall cash flow that's coming in, and obviously expenses that are going out. And 
maybe looking at the option of not increasing the premium, but keeping the policy as is, again, if you can afford it, as is, with the reduction of some of the benefits. Because the reality is this, and this is something that nobody ever wants to talk about, is that in the event there's a care event, it is expensive. I believe up here in the state of Pennsylvania, the average cost for skilled care is approaching $10,000 a month. And if we look at the average stay as anywhere from 22 to 27 months, that becomes extremely expensive. So first of all, if you have one of these policies and you haven't seen a premium increase, I'm going to bet dollars to donuts it is going to go up. So just factor that in as part of your inflationary increase in expenses over time. The other thing is make sure you understand the policy, the benefits, the daily benefit, the lifetime max. Do you have inflation? Are there any other bells and whistles that are within there that as those premiums increase, maybe I freeze those particular benefits? But it is something to really consider before just doing away with the policy. Okay. Now, the other thing is, is if you haven't purchased a traditional long-term care policy, it's not that long-term care shouldn't be factored into your overall planning. It absolutely should. But nowadays, there are many what essentially are called hybrid type policies out there. Quite frankly, most of them are going to incorporate some type of hybrid life insurance along with long-term care, what have you. But that way, many of those, you can create a stagnant premium cost that doesn't go up, which can be very important for long-term planning from an income and expense perspective. The other thing is because it incorporates life insurance is that in the event it's never used, usually the life insurance benefit, not usually, it will be paid out upon you passing to whoever you have designated. Now, those just to let you know, those type of policies are constructed in all different ways. So don't just think that there's, you know, one size fits all. You really want to you want to be speaking with someone that understands them, that can explain the different the, the way they are constructed is differently, the way they're going to pay out is going to be differently, what have you. So make sure you're looking at that. But that is a way by using these new hybrids that you can actually create a flat premium that isn't going to increase over time like traditional long-term care. If you have questions about that or if you have one and you want to make sure you understand it, make sure to reach out to us. Schedule a time to talk. Speakwithmatt.com. Again, www.speakwithmatt.com. Okay, let's jump on to the, uh, this next one. I uh, had this conversation with a client last week, and I have these conversations probably, I don't know, five, six, seven, eight times a year with clients. And the first question is, should I buy or should I lease a car, automobile, what have you? And if I'm going to buy, should I finance or should I lease? The conversation I had last week was specifically about a lease. And the conversation with the client went like this. Hey, listen, Matt, I've only got 10, 11 months left on my lease and I'm already at the mileage limit for my term. What should I do? Should I look to sell the car? Should I just wait to the end and buy the car? Or should I just keep on going and not worry about anything until the end of the lease comes? 
So what are the things that you want to realize right now or what I advise them on? First of all, I wouldn't go and look to sell it right now, even though car prices are obviously, you know, we, we've had a big increase in the value and you could probably get a really good price for that car to get bought out of the lease. The question is, if you need a car, you're probably going to have to go buy a car that's also overpriced. So you could just be even. Now, one thing to look at is, well, if I'm getting out of a lease and I'm actually going to buy another car, then I'm not going to have to worry about that mileage requirement. But we want to really have a plan when we're going to unload the car, where are we going to go buy something? That's really important. Now, the other thing I spoke to them about was, hey, listen, I don't know that I'd be out there looking for a car right now because of the fact that especially used cars are so overpriced right now. You know, we, we, we don't, the inventory isn't there, so it's typical supply and demand. Demand is still high. Supply is low. What's that do to cost? Well, obviously, it increases. So I said, what is the, what's going to be the extra cost per mile that you're going to have to pay when it comes time to take it in in 10 to 11 months? I think the number was 25 cents. I said, well, if you look at that, then that is a set cost that you know you can budget into so you know exactly when, it, when 10 months comes around, if I'm going to put an extra 10,000 miles on the car, what's my cost? Well, I'm going to have to walk in and I got a tw- potentially a $2,500 cost to get out of that lease when I turn it in. The other thing I mentioned to him is, you know, when you get to that time period 10, 11 months ago, and I've seen this personally with other clients, with my mom and with myself, is that many times the car companies, the dealerships will give incentives to keep you leasing and or buying a new car that's coming from the same dealership. And I said, let's go back because this same client, we had this conversation a little over two years ago. Same thing. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm coming to the end. I'm 15,000 miles over. You know, what should I do? I said, well, why don't you talk to him? about going, you know, what are the benefits to going ahead and continue getting another one? Sure enough, what did the company do? They forgave the overage. And they put him in a new one, a newer model, same or same model, just newer car, and they kept the payments the same. Essentially, all they did is they stuck him in a new car. He had the same term as he had before, meaning what the payment was going to be, how long it was going to be, and the mileage that was given. I said, so, you know, right now, considering where the used car market is and even the new car market, I'd go ahead and let it roll. Now, be budgeting this extra, you know, you know you're going over, so make sure that money is set aside in case they don't offer this or you decide to go in another direction. But that, if it was, if I was sitting in that same situation, that's the exact direction that I would go. I would go, now, granted, if I got another car, you know, I'd probably be putting some miles on that as well <laughs> to keep that extra money down. But that's the direction I would be going is I would go ahead, I would ride the lease out, I would be looking for, let's get past the supply and demand issue with automobiles. Hopefully in 10, 11 months, it's, we're not in the same situation and there's some incentives to go ahead and get something new. So if you're in that situation and you want to have a conversation, again, reach out to us, speakwithmat.com, again, www dot speakwithmat.com. Now, the other thing I want to talk about is last week, um, I shot a video, I don't know, it was probably about two months ago and sent it out, but it became official last week, about midweek, and that is the Social Security Administration came out and spoke to 
the COLA increase that will go into effect for those that are receiving benefits in 2022. It's going to be, you know, highest in decades, 5.9%. But I've had many people reach out to me, and the question is, is that going to affect my Social Security if I'm not already collecting? And the answer is it's not going to affect yours if you're not collecting. You have to be collecting the benefit to actually receive that increase in COLA beginning January 1 of 2022. So again, to go back over this, if you're not collecting the, your own benefit now, you're not going to recognize that increase. You, you, know, you still are one of the ones that whether you're delaying, whether you're not eligible yet, what have you, it's not going to affect you at all. It's not going to increase your benefit 5.9% for when you eventually get to be able to collect for it. So again, it's only for those that are already collecting benefits, uh, quite frankly, of any type of benefit, is that 5.9% increase is going to go up. Well, listen, everyone, that's all I've got for you today. I hope it's been beneficial. Good value of your time. If you have a question that you want us to talk about or scenario, you can email us at info at smartmoneyquestions.com. You can pick the phone up and call us. If you'd like to have a more personal conversation, 610-719-3003. Or as I've mentioned already a couple times, our online calendar is at speakwithmatt.com. Again, www.speakwithmatt.com. Listen, everyone, I hope it's been valuable. We'll talk soon. Take care.